Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. (laughs) Well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. Sherry is not with me tonight on this recording of the Untoxicated Podcast, and I know that will be to the considerable disappointment of the majority of our listeners, but... But not that they're Sherry replacements, because I'm not stupid enough to say that. But in her place, uh, we have a roundtable panel of six people from the recovery community, six people that I'm very fond of and have very pertinent experiences. And I'm really excited to welcome them to the Untoxicated Podcast, this roundtable edition. Before we get into that and start introducing our guests and asking them questions, I wanna give a little bit of background. I wanna explain what my goal was when I first entered the recovery community, not just as a participant and someone seeking sobriety, but as someone who felt I had something to offer or something to give back and uh, wanted to see what that looked like. My initial goal with Shout Sobriety, which was our first program, which is a program of recovery for high-functioning alcoholics seeking sobriety. Uh, I, I knew of no one who had gotten sober quite like me. So I would say there was more naivety than there was arrogance, but probably a combination of the two. I knew no one who had spent so much time and invested so much recovery resource not money necessarily, but just really put a ton of value into what is technically called bibliotherapy. A lot of people read Quitlet. I get that. I'm not unique in any sense of the word by being a big reader, but that was the foundation for me. That was, that was it. That was where I found connection. Um, I felt like some of the people who wrote memoir in the recovery community sobriety memoir, I felt like they were some of my best friends. And I know that sounds ridiculous since they didn't know who I was and I didn't technically know who they were. But but some of what I read really hit me to the point where I felt a connection. And it was my first step in sobriety, in recovery. And uh, I really leaned on it. And so I wanted to bring a program to the recovery community that that focused heavily on bibliotherapy. And really, I thought I was unique. I know now that I wasn't, but but that that's where I'm coming from. And and that's the important point I'm trying to make. I thought I was, I thought I had something different. Now, when I would explain bibliotherapy to people, especially some of the more traditional 12-step folks, I would get, and I, and I got this from more than a few people, I got comments like, I'll save you a seat for when you relapse. Because if all you're doing as it relates to recovery is reading, There's no way you're going to make it out. Um, There were things about the 12 steps in AA that that didn't work for me. Uh, The fact that it was so spirituality focused was a little bit of a turnoff. I'm a very spiritual person. I'm a religious person. I attend church. I'm a believer. I'm all of those things. But I have had a strong faith and a strong connection with God um, since before I was drinking, while I was drinking, and and certainly after I was drinking as well. And so 
having that connection and turning to spirituality, it just didn't feel like a good fit for me. That's something that certainly is debatable. That might be confusing to people to hear, but there had to be something more. And that was one of the things that was a bit of a turnoff for me for a about AA at the time. The anonymity piece was a big turnoff. Um, the more people I talked to about my sobriety, the better I felt about it, the more solid I became in sobriety and the better relationships I developed. And so I didn't want the anonymity part. And, and certainly the fact that anonymous is one of the two words that the initials stand for, uh, whether I was naive and ignorant or not is certainly debatable. Um, but, but that frankly was a turnoff for me, uh, for AA. And then, you know, all of these recovery programs, it's really difficult to calculate a success rate. How do you keep track of who is and isn't sober? I mean, often people move on from programs because they've had success and they don't need the program anymore, but also often people move on from the programs because they've relapsed and there's no way to track that accurately. And there, there are, you know, limited and, um, not particularly accurate attempts at pinning a success rate on programs like Alcoholics Anonymous. There's one article that was published in the Atlantic like 15, 20 years ago that I read and that I leaned on heavily at the time that said AA had a success rate that was something under 10%. And I thought that's awful. Under 10%, you know, who are we serving if, if we have such a low success rate? And I was frankly really naive about how much effort was already taking place in the recovery world, scientific effort, dollars being spent, so many people. And I had this, this picture that I could come in and um, with my efforts, try to create a better mousetrap. And so that was the goal. I want to be super honest about that. That was the goal at the beginning with our shout sobriety program, a better mousetrap. And now I have a completely different perspective. I think a 10% success rate is fantastic. I think if uh, AA has a 10% success rate and Smart Recovery has a 10% success rate and the luckiest club, Laura McCowan's program has a 10% success rate and and maybe our Shout Sobriety program has a 10% success rate and there's, there's literally 100 other programs out there. If we've all got a 10% success rate, then that means there's something for everyone. And that's what's important. If you have enough 10%, it'll add up to 100. And so rather than trying to create the better mousetrap, what I've learned over the years in this recovery world is um, we just have to fit some portion of the population and let the other portions of the population, let them go find something different that works for them. And there is a lot of creativity and innovation in the recovery world. So we're really blessed to live in a cool time when there really is something for everyone. And uh, your thing doesn't have to be my thing and my thing doesn't have to work for you. I, I, I'm very, very comfortable now when I meet people that say, gosh, I tried. Shout sobriety doesn't work. Um, what I try to do is encourage them to find something else and maybe point them in a direction that I might know about um, because uh, that's what it's all about. Uh, if this was an easy problem, if this was a 100% solution exists kind of problem, we would have solved it a long, long time ago. And so like most of the massive problems that we deal with in the world, uh, it's an all hands on deck kind of thing. So speaking of all hands on deck, uh, that's, that's quite a bit of introduction. I wanna bring on our panelists 
and hear what their experiences have been in the recovery world. Um, Jason, I want to talk to you first. You and I have known each other for a couple of years now through our marriage evolution program, uh, which is for couples that are seeking recovery of their marriages post-alcohol. Uh, you've got some, some some significant years of sobriety under your belt, um, but I don't necessarily want to talk about the relationship recovery work right now. I want to talk about a piece that you have worked on individually, and that is the SMART Recovery Program. Um, can you talk a little bit about your sobriety journey, what that was like? Did you get into SMART Recovery right away or not? And and uh, tell us a little bit about Smart Recovery. Welcome, Jason. Hi, Matt. Uh, yeah, I can talk about that. Um, so I guess I went through a traditional rehab uh, where I went out and uh, I was stuck at a place for 14 days. Um, I only made it five days out of that 14 days. Um, but my therapist in there, uh, he ran a Smart Recovery um group outside of uh, the hospital that I was in. Um, so he gave me information on that while I was in rehab. Um, I didn't quite go to it right away. Um, there, inside of rehab, there was uh, traditional AA meetings, um, and they were more of the agnostic version, I would say, of the AA meetings where uh, it was more roundtable-based um, and I kind of enjoyed that. Uh, and then I, you know, once I got out of my 14 day rehab after five days. Yeah. Help, help us understand <laughs> mindset there. Did you, did, did insurance kick you out, which is the case for a lot of people? Or no, were you just like, was, that's enough for I me? I was cured. I would, yeah, I was cured. Oh, okay. I, sure. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, I, I got my mindset. I'm good. You know, I'm ready to go out there. And I think I was, uh, I got a, uh, inpatient, uh, not, what do you call those? Uh, inpatient uh, rehab, you know, on the outside, I, I got that set oh, up. Uh, an out, outpatient, like an IOP? Yes, thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, so no I problem. had that set up. Um, so I set that up with my therapist before I left, and that was kind of my negotiation of getting out of there. So I, I just felt kind of uncomfortable in the, in the rehab. You know, I... Uh, you know, people would be coming in the room at all times. Um, I I had a really, I would say, uh, physical addiction to alcohol. So I, I needed to go through that. And uh, I needed to have medical attention for them to bring me down because of my, uh, how deep I was, you know. Um, so I needed it for that. But after five days, I kind of started feeling uncomfortable because you couldn't lock your doors and, you know, people are coming in at all hours of the night. And so uh, I got out, I went through a couple of AA meetings around and I just, I really couldn't find my fit. Um, <clears throat> so I ended up uh, contacting my therapist, went to his smart recovery uh, group. Um, the, these were in-person meetings at the time. Um you know, and it uh, it was more of a round table uh, where everybody did a check-in. And um, and then after all the check-ins, we would do these, uh, they would start talking about the toolbox, you know, the toolbox that you got to create to uh, to stay in sobriety. And we would do worksheets 
And, uh, you know, it, it just seemed really practical to me and it made sense right away. I like the round table, you know, crosstalk was, uh, encouraged. Um, you know, it just, it felt right. I, I started, uh, connecting, uh, with the group, uh, instantly, you know, uh, and you don't really have a sponsor, but there was a couple people that I pointed out and I'm like, you're, you're my sponsor, you know? So I kind of, uh, but, but there is no regular sponsors in that group. And it, um, just between all the, uh, we did, uh, like cost benefit analysis worksheets. We did, uh, uh, these ABC, like higher hierarchy of values, you know, and we just kind of, we did, uh, you know, they taught us how to do urge logs, uh, and then playing the tape forward. And uh, I don't know, they gave me a lot of tools that I used and I still use to this day, even uh, like if uh, a couple months ago, I was trying to quit uh, sugar, you know, I kind of used all those same, same toolboxes because smart recovery is not just alcohol based. There's people in there uh, with gambling addictions, uh, internet addiction, shopping addictions, uh, all sorts of cigarettes, <laughs> you know so yeah it's it's uh, it's a mixture of people i would say 80 percent of the people are alcohol um you know they're well, for alcohol. Well, most most of us who deal with alcohol we tend to transfer our addiction to something you know whether it's intentionally through harm reduction plans or just because uh that's how we're wired right and we we leave alcohol and go to something else like uh ice cream has certainly been a battle for me over the years so I'm glad you mentioned sugar. So I like that idea of having, you know, tools that are applicable to other things in that in that toolbox that can you can carry forward and use throughout life. If I'm not mistaken, Smart Recovery has like you described in person meetings, but there are also online meetings for Smart Recovery, aren't there? Yes. So um, I went through that initial period. Um, this is right before uh, the pandemic. Um, and then I relapsed right before the pandemic once. Um, and then when I got back in, you know, there was no traditional uh, rehabs open when I relapsed. So I couldn't go back to a rehab. Uh, so, uh, you know, my wife, uh, you know, she really pushed me to, to do the 90 meetings in 90 days. And then, you know, smart recovery at the time kind of kind of flipped. They were doing online meetings, but they kind of doubled down on them. Um, and they even have an app now and all sorts of easier ways to get to a meeting. Uh, but yeah, you can do international meetings. You could do local meetings. You could do. Um, There's a group that I was. It was an in-person meeting at first. The COVID happened. Then it turned into a in-person and online meeting or during COVID, it was an online meeting, then it went into, now it's a in-person and uh, online meeting. Um, so yeah, that that part uh, really helped when I started doing that 90 days, 90 meetings in 90 days, where I was able to go to, uh, you know, a meeting in uh, uh, Britain or something like that, you know, and then, uh, you know, somewhere in California or, you know, just the online meeting um, so that made it really uh, convenient. And then they also have uh, workbooks that you can order, um, you know, and it's all donation based, really, too. 
where, you know, they pass the hat at the end of the meetings when you're in person and everybody puts in a dollar or or nothing. You don't have to put in anything if you you can't afford it. Um, And then all the moderators, uh, they go through a training course. Uh, They go through some sort of, uh, you know, schooling or, you know, nothing too too in-depth, but, um, you know, anybody can become a moderator or, uh, uh, you know, a lead uh, in a meeting uh, if you're interested. So it's, it's, I don't know, it's been a really positive experience, I would say. That's that's great. You know, you point out two different angles in that positive experience. Uh, I, because the program that, I'm most familiar with the one that we facilitate is online. I'm a little bit jealous when I hear t- people talking about sitting around a big table and crosstalk because crosstalk is more difficult in these little zoom boxes as we are all recording uh, through zoom right now. Uh, so just, just sitting there, the, the reading people's body language and, and conversing with them while not talking over them is a lot easier in person. So it's cool to know that both options are available with smart recovery, but um, I, I can see where that initial experience that you had in person would be a big advantage. Good stuff, Jason. Thanks for introducing smart recovery here on this podcast episode, Josh, welcome to the intoxicated podcast. Welcome back. I should say um, you and I also met through the marriage evolution, our program for couples working on relationship recovery. Um, but what I really would like to hear from you about is your experience in AA. You are a big believer in uh, the 12 steps and AA, and your experience has been, I'd say, nothing short of life-changing from the way you've described it. Can you talk us through what was AA, what has it done for you? Uh, so for me, AA pretty much just saved my life. Uh, I tried it once before. It didn't really work out uh, because I was still in. I wasn't ready to quit yet. But this time around, the the group I have it's uh it's it's more like a um. There's more old fashioned than anything. There's a lot of groups out there. I see a lot of people. They're not successful because uh, there's a lot of people that talk the way that uh you mentioned in the intro. Where um, I'll save a seat for you. I hate hearing that kind of stuff. Because, you know, when you, a lot of groups, when you come in there as a first timer, they just kind of like, you know, hit you with all this crap where, um, you know, you're going to die and all this stuff, which it, it could be true if you keep drinking. But I don't like that. You know, like when you come in the rooms, I like to um, promote it, not um, beat people down. You know, you're already beat down. You're, you're coming. It's like your last resort. And for me, it pretty much just it, it saved my entire life. I was on the verge of being kicked out of the house and wife wanted nothing to do with me. Daughter would have had a horrible father and um, I would have gotten and ended up being fired eventually too. You know, I was drinking on the job and it's uh, my group is very uh, God based. So I think that's what attracted me because I was religious my whole life and other groups I see it's more of a, a different theme uh, but, you know, like our group's got a very tight knit and it's just uh, something I always needed. So, I mean, I never th- I have brothers and I don't have friends in AA. So my home group is pretty much the uh, the epitome of everything. When I hear you talk about it and you and I have had 
you know, a, a number of conversations about your experiences. I don't think of AA as this worldwide organization. I think of what you just said, your brothers. I think of your, uh, you know, your uh, posse, your group, and, and that the power in it for you is that as opposed to mm -hmm. the philosophy overall. Um, would you like, do, do you ever venture out and go to other meetings elsewhere or is, is it for you all about that home group? No, we, um, we do go to other meetings. It's, uh, we have our meeting once a week, but, um, we pretty much go to the same place, but I do venture out to other meetings. It's kind of, uh, I, I find it really cool and interesting how, um, it's so similar, you know, but, um, it's hard to uh, pick up somebody to help walk through the steps when it's a room full of all of your home group guys, you know, and, um, but it's, it's definitely a worldwide thing. And it's kind of cool when you, when you're out of town and you go to other meetings and everything's pretty similar, you know, you get a little, like, I do get pretty upset sometimes when they run it the way I don't want it to be run, but uh, I was taught to uh, not think that way, you know, <laughs> you know like there's, there's certain groups that they don't, um, they don't do the traditional thing. They just read certain like other little verses and which I get annoyed at that, but you know, you're still, I'm, no, I'm not there for that reason. I'm there because uh, I, I do enjoy the meetings. They help recharge me. And, you know, it's good. They work. It's a uh, service work to keep giving it back. You know, I, the more if I don't go to meetings, I the longer I go without a meeting, the more I get uh, I get cranky. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, and and you too, Josh, are years into your sobriety. So, it, it is it for you? Is it about not not drinking like that specifically, or is it about growth and making progress and just becoming a better human at this point? Uh, probably both. I did the white knuckle thing um, almost four years, and it was uh, I was arguably worse than I ever was before. But uh, the, you know, the the white knuckle is um, being alone is probably the worst thing for an alcoholic. I would say that the uh, camaraderie and the brotherhood and the fellowship is what pretty much is like the glue to everything. I I, I used to think AA was the only way to get sober, but I mean, uh, I learned that. Uh, I learned to reopen my mind on that subject because I know there's more than one way to get just to get sober and stay sober. It's just this is the only way that worked for me. So like I, I do believe in it. But um, I also I just I don't like when people say it's the only way because there's more than one way to skin the cat, as the phrase goes. Well, you are an ambassador for what has worked for you. You're you have I've seen you speak very eloquently about AA when, uh, you know, the pushback comes that is more general. You, you're very good at speaking specifically about the things mm -hmm. that you like and the things that have worked for you. And so I commend you for that. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the, on the podcast. Thanks for sharing that, Josh. Trace, my friend, Trace, you are one of the, you're not one of the, I sh I'm, I'm messing it up already, messing up the introduction already. When I was a super duper newbie at this facilitating recovery stuff world, you were the very first person I talked to. You were the very first member of our Shout Sobriety program all those years ago. And uh, I want to welcome you, not only, you know, maybe to talk about those early memories of Shout Sobriety, but as our friendship has stayed intact, you have ventured beyond Shout Sobriety to other things, including 
the luckiest club, which was founded by uh, our mutual friend, Laura McCowan, and hoping you can talk a little bit about that as well. Welcome, Trace. Thanks, Matt. Hi, everyone. Um, that uh, You told me that before, and I, I uh, that's, that's great to hear. I, you know, I look at the years in sobriety that I've had and started in February of 2019 at my computer. And, uh, you know, like a lot of people had had enough of waking up just in a miserable state of mind. So I've had a little bit of taste of lots of different sobriety groups. I started with Annie Grace with this naked mind, um, William Porter and shout sobriety, all kind of overlapping each other for the first few months while um, going to therapy at the same time. And it was because of my therapist recommending AA and um, the lack of meetings in smart recovery. I was doing smart recovery at the time too, which I really liked, but there were only two or three people showing up at the meetings. This is pre-COVID. So it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of uh, the brotherhood that Joshua was speaking about. A lot of people doing what I was trying to do because all my friends back then drank and still do. And so I was kind of the outlier. And so I spent about a year in AA as well and got a lot out of AA. Um, I did the steps. I got a sponsor all the time. You know, you brought up bibliotherapy. You taught that to me, Matt. And I'm still, I still read about addiction. I, it was what saved me in the evenings was audiobooks, listening to uh, memoirs and, and addiction and whatever I could podcast, whatever I could get my hands or ears on to, to, uh, to keep me going and understanding how I got to where I was, which was in a pretty bad state. Um, so, uh, Right about the year mark or a little bit after, same thing, just kind of searching the internet, I found uh, Laura McCowan and Holly Whitaker's podcast. They were they had done some work together. And that's how I found Laura McCowan. And she was doing, this is uh, pre-TLC. So this is before that came about, but she was doing some uh, recovery courses. And I've just emailed and asked if I could get in. It was mostly a women's thing. There was one guy in there. I was kind of nervous, but I jumped in and it was a couple month course. And in that time frame, COVID hit. And when COVID hit, she decided to um, do some online meetings. And that's how TLC took off was her realizing that people were going to need support. So she started TLC and I really gravitated to TLC because of kind of what I spoke of, just the eclectic way that it was approached. There was AA there. There were smart people there. There were other people who had gone to, through Annie Grace. There were lots of different perspectives on what addiction is. And, and you know, you nailed it right here. It's like everyone, everyone does it can find it their own way. There's so many better choice or they're not better. I don't mean to even say that there's so many different choices now that if you really do want to get sober and, and face addiction, 
there's lots of great ways to do it. And, and I've found, you know, as I've looked through them all and still do, I take something from everyone that I've, that I've attended or listened to and been in groups in or created friends through. I've just taken kind of what worked for me and, and, uh, and, and just gone with that. And that's now I don't really, I don't attend TLC anymore. I, I got to a point, uh, in my sobriety where I just, um, I didn't want to think about it anymore. I focused so hard and so long on it for years and years. And it's not that I don't focus on sobriety and I don't use all those tools. I do on a daily basis because quite frankly, I'm still bombarded by society's pressures to drink and, you know, whatever other addiction there is. I still read about addiction. I still have friends I communicate with who are, who are sober and, um, but as far as any formal meetings with TLC, I haven't been there in about in about a year. Doesn't mean I won't go back. Doesn't mean I won't go back to AA. I I I don't know. I don't know. I just in in where I was at with my with my head, I just wanted to not really think about it anymore and just live my life and not make alcohol the focus, or in my case, alcohol and pot is what it was. So that's where I'm at. But I, you know, I just wanted, you know, I loved when you said every, there's so many different ways to do it now. And, and that's such a great thing. And I hope you're right about 10% smart recovery, you know, rate and 10% AA and 10% TLC, because I really do think we're better off. Uh, I'm better off with just not drinking. It's just a, it's just so clear to me now, but it took a lot of work. It took all of that stuff. For, for it to really sink in and and for me to be like, I'm super glad I'm sober. Like I am really glad that I don't drink anymore. My life's so much better because I don't. But that doesn't mean that it's not out there and that I don't get bombarded with it and I don't have thoughts about it. It's just, I'm now to a point where it's like, it's just not worth it. One of the things that you're helping me remember from uh, our experiences together in the past trace, when you're talking about how really, how kind of all encompassing your approach has been checking out lots of different things. One of the things you're helping me remember are some of the great conversations that we had philosophical conversations mm -hmm. about, you know, why is sobriety, is sobriety better? Um, what, what aspects of recovery are the important ones? Is this about alcohol or is this about growth in general? Like some of the things we talked about back in those early days yeah. were really inspiring. And so I think a tribute, you know, to you and your approach is uh, just, you, you've got unquenchable curiosity. And I think that is worth noting because I think that is a, a really valuable thing to have when someone's out there seeking sobriety, as opposed to thinking you've got all the answers, asking all the questions is the way to go. Um, because as we've discussed, there's lots of resources out there. One thing I'm hoping that you can comment on, I think something that sets the luckiest club TLC apart and, and just to, to clarify TLC and the luckiest club is what Laura McCowan named her program. It's named after her first book her bestseller, um, uh, called we are the luckiest. And, uh, Laura is a tremendous writer. 
Uh, big shout out to her. If anyone's looking for some Quitlet to check out, uh, she has two books published now. Both of them are excellent. She's just an, just an outstanding writer uh, beyond the message that she's delivering, which is great also. She's just, she's just got a tremendous amount of talent. But her popularity dates back to, as you mentioned, the podcast, the home podcast she did with Holly Whitaker. And that really filled a void. That was one of the original podcasts, people just talking about the struggles that they were having with alcohol and it exploded. I mean, it, it was early days podcast and, and there wasn't a lot else out there. I'm not trying to take anything away from the quality of the podcast. They are both magnificent speakers and do a, a great credit to the things that they talk about, but um, it just exploded. And so her popularity is through the roof and it's only gotten bigger because she is such a good writer and has such an important message. But when you get on some of those TLC calls, there's like, hundred plus people on them. Right. Which I think is a little different than what Jason was talking about yeah. and Josh with his AA meetings and certainly different from shout sobriety as well. What's that experience like being one of a hundred. And it's, it was even more, uh, it was up 300 people a lot of times with, with some of those meetings. So yeah, same thing though. It is, uh, you know, one of the things they, tr they want people to do is to, to speak up and speak out about what they've got going on. It's a, it's a theme that they have and, you know, it is pretty intimidating in those large groups of people to um, to speak. I know it was for me. I it's it's difficult for me to speak in in front of people in general. I've it's gotten better as I've gotten more time under my belt and more comfortable uh, in my own skin, so to speak. Um, but it is uh, it was intimidating, and I I had a couple friends that you know just refused to speak and didn't want to and. There are a lot of people, and I, I, I think that's totally okay to just jump in. I want to hear what people have to say and um, just sit back and listen. And I know I learned a lot from that. But Laura, I think Laura recognized that because there's lots of subgroups there. There's many, many subgroups within within that group, smaller men's groups. I, I started a men's group and ran it for a while uh, when I was pretty active there. So you can get on a meeting that's like this where there's six or ten people outside of the, the big meetings or the bigger, more popular meetings. Um, but the thing is, is it's people gravitate to that because those, the, the, from Laura, all, every, every speaker or, or commentator, they're really great people and they all bring something different. So you find yourself, you know, tending to, to go to one person or another. But when I was in it, I was listening I just like to listen to the different perspectives of the different people presenting, you know, the, the, uh, the hour long meeting. So it, it has a lot, a lot of different, um, choices. So I don't know if I answered that question other than I, I don't, I didn't really like the big meetings, but, um, I would still tune in and listen to them. I might go for a walk with my dog and listen to some of the big ones and then, some of the smaller ones, I would speak a little bit more, a little bit more comfortable that way. Yeah. I, I think this goes to the theme of this discussion, which is different strokes for different folks, right? There's um, different opportunities out there available. I know um, I, I get a little, a little concerned that it would be possible to be in a huge recovery program like that with hundreds of people on the call and to just kind of, hide out in the shadows and 
you know, I'm glad to know that she, she has subgroups and, and smaller groups because uh, there, I think that, uh, you know, while there are lots of different opportunities available for different people and different things work for different people, it'd be easy to, uh, to, to just kind of hide out and not make as much progress as you could otherwise make if you're in a smaller group where you're more actively participating. Um, that's, I'm just putting my spin on a little bit. And so I appreciate you, um, talking to your experience and that, that's cool. I didn't realize that you were, you were leading some, one of those subgroups. That's, re- that's really cool stuff. Thanks for sharing trace Ben. Welcome to the untoxicated podcast. Um, you have a, a variety of experiences, but what I want to hear about what we'd like you to share with our audience is your initial experience when you first got sober, because like many people, myself included, you uh, tried to go this alone for quite a while, um, experienced sobriety without recovery. Can you talk about your mindset back then and, and how that played out? Yeah, Matt, thanks for having me on. Um, so yeah, I've been sober now. Uh, not drinking for a little over three years and uh, that put it back in the middle of COVID or early days of COVID. Um, prior to that, I guess for a couple years, uh, it was clear that I needed some help. I tried a, a couple programs with our church and, and um, you know, they didn't work. There were some of those that uh, you could share, but nobody could talk back, uh, no crosstalk, no fixing, no saving, no advice, no nothing. Um, you know, it, it, didn't work well for me. And and quite frankly, um, <clears throat> what made me quit was uh, uh, the wife taking the kids away for the weekend, uh, not knowing if she was going to come back. Uh, and it just really snapped me around and just said, okay, this is, this is it. Um, and I feel like, and I've said this, that I feel like God just kind of took it away from me at that point, you know, uh, took away the urge. Now that first year was, uh, rough, you know, white knuckling it, I guess, while I didn't have, I didn't feel like I had the urges. I also was blessed to be in the middle of COVID where there were no parties, there were no events, there was nothing that I could go to where my, that I used to do where I would be drinking. So, um, and then the second year, things kind of started to, there was a little bit of light in the tunnel, but it, we were just kind of going through life, you know. Um, I had this thought in my mind, I needed to quit drinking, I quit drinking, and it will just get better from here. But um, there was a lot of damage that I had caused my wife and my daughters during drinking, and that first year, year and a half after drinking that um, I am, you know, my third year after drinking, it just started to get rough again. Um, not from a desire to drink standpoint, I feel like I have long-term sobriety and I have no desire to drink ever again in my life. I've accepted the fact that one drink is not even remotely uh, feasible for me. But the getting rough again. So Matt, I first met you on a marriage evolution call because my wife had been starting echoes and, um, you know, 
for a while before I even quit drinking, she was doing her own individual counseling. And after two marriage evolution calls that we joined, she kind of said, I'm not getting on another one of those with you because you're not doing anything to recover. And I didn't understand really what that meant. And it's since then, it's been the last, you know, she told me there are things you just don't understand. She tried to do some uh, resentment processing towards me and that went horribly. <laughs> I was deflecting. I was minimizing. I was uh, really creating more pain for her. Um, and it wasn't until this spring uh, where I guess I hit my rock bottom, you know, and realized, okay, I've got to do something. And so I joined Shout sometime in late July. And I feel like I've got a group of people now. I'm starting to understand that my drinking habits are not unique to me and the struggles that I have with my family are not unique to me. And that doesn't minimize it. That just opens my eyes to the fact that quitting drinking is just the first small step that I have to take. And that, um, that I've got quite a long, hard road to walk and a lot of hard things to um, hear <laughs> and, and really recover from. Boy, th this is such a great example of, you know, we talk a lot and, and about the fact that sobriety doesn't fix anything, but it is a prerequisite. And uh, when you talk about your rock bottom and it being years into your sobriety, I think that's such a great example of the truth behind that statement. So that becomes, and, and, you know, both in my relationship and as an individual, I have suffered what I would call emotional relapses or mental health relapses over the years. And, you know, that's kind of what you're describing. It's not a rock bottom that involves booze or involves saying horrible things or digging the hole deeper or, uh, you know, a DUI or, or financial loss. It's a, it's a rock bottom that involves um, coming to grips with the fact that you you need growth and you need a change and you need to make progress and you're willing to roll up your sleeves and find a way to do that. Am I am I describing that rock bottom correctly? Yes, yes. I you know um, realizing now that. I guess the scales are being pulled from my eyes, so to speak, that I'm, I'm seeing the, the pain that's been caused and the trust that's been broken. And I'm hopefully scared or scared, hopefully that, you know, we can get through this. I hear on your podcast, you know, that a lot of people can, you know, get through the drinking, but maybe can't get through the recovery. And, and I really, um, I'm thankful to have a group now that can help me walk through those steps. Yeah. What, what you're talking about as it relates to the relationship yeah. is what we call resentment processing, which is where you 
uh, as, as the drinker or the former drinker in our case, you're able to hear the, the painful stories, the traumatic experiences from our spouse and hear them without it re-traumatizing us. That's a sign of progress, being able to acknowledge that this partner of ours, that their experiences are valid and accurate and having that not send us into a, a shame spiral that can lead to relapse. And that's, that's a huge sign of individual progress when we can hear those stories and process the resentments without mm -hmm. it re-traumatizing us. And it is, I'm here to say it's way harder. That's way harder to do than, than, and I'm not trying to say quitting drinking is easy because it is not, but, um, getting to that point where we can deal with those resentments, uh, and get through them is hard. And I'm really impressed and excited that you're, that you roll up your sleeve and you're doing that work. Thanks for sharing your experience, Ben. Very much appreciated. Thanks. Jay, I want to, um, give you huge props, my friend, Jay, you and I were connected by a mutual friend. I had been sober for a little while. It, I mean, it was over a year. I don't remember. It, it wasn't a ton of time. Um, I was writing about it. So I know it was over a year and you were newly getting sober and you and I bonded right away. We clicked, um, the stuff that I was writing and publishing to our, our blog sober and unashamed, um, was really connecting. And you and I were having some side email conversations and I was like, man, this is great. This is going great. You were also uh, finding success in AA at the time. And back in those early days of my writing, as I alluded to in the intro, um, I was kind of an AA basher and I didn't uh, have an open mind. And I was trying to create that better mousetrap as opposed to just a different mousetrap. And I want to give you a ton of credit because you pushed back. You pushed back pretty hard, frankly. And, um, you know, we kind of ended our relationship. You, you, you had had enough of what I was saying because AA was working for you. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really proud and excited that you accepted this invitation to come on here because I wasn't, I wasn't sure you were ever going to speak to me again. And so <laughs> props to you, Jay. Um, would you talk a little bit about your experience in AA? If you'd like to, I'd love to hear more about those early days, um, when you and I were getting along and then, and then I pushed some buttons for you. <laughs> Well, no, thanks for having me on. I, no, I totally appreciate it as well. Um, I probably did push back a little hard, and I appreciate you, you know, reaching back out to me. Um, yeah, you know, it was a time that I was, um, you know, it was that first hard, hard year, you know, and um, and what was saving my life at the moment was AA, um, obviously the support from my family. I wasn't all, I was also an all of the above kind of guy, you know, Annie Grace, let me know, this naked mind was a huge you kind of windfall for me. Um, you taught me about some other quitlet and, um, you know, kind of introduced me to some thoughts and things and, and that, that definitely helped open my eyes as well. I, you know, I did uh, therapy, I did um, the psychiatrist, I, I did um, what, whatever I needed to do to get sober after originally you know, kind of getting my nerves settled from, you know, detox, I went all in, I, I was desperate, right? And and I was reaching and looking and, and doing everything. And by the time, you know, you were, you were really starting to develop and, and setting up your blog and uh, for as far as where I could see it, um, 
you know, yeah, that that was a I was deep seated in AA at the time. I believe I was going through the steps, and it was really, really shedding some light for me. You know, um, yeah, you know, and I, I made a couple of bullet points just from from what you've been talking about, and um, you know, it'd be hard for me to go through my story if you're wanting to end here uh, too soon. Love to be on again another time, but you know, one thing that popped out to me was the anonymity. I remember that was a struggle. Uh, for you. And I, and I heard that in your opening, you know, um, but what I was learning at the time was that anonymity had nothing to do with me being anonymous about myself. I could talk to whoever I wanted, tell whoever I wanted, shout it from the rooftops, tell my boss, not tell my boss, you know, do whatever I wanted. It's about other folks. And that's something that, that I, you know, you have a hard time as an AA um, person um, hearing folks say, ah, but said not, you know, so that that's a hard, you know, there's resentment for me that I needed to work through, um, you know, and, and the spirituality thing, you, you hear a lot of folks, and, and you said it right, spirituality, uh, a lot of people think, you know, it's a religious program, it's all about God, well, really what it's about, to me, in my experience, is that I'm not the center of the universe, and that was a huge thing for me to learn, because in my life, in my world, everybody does what Jay wants to do, and everybody does moves around and 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 you know accepts whatever, and I'm the middle, and that was just a huge win for me to realize. Because all also in addition to that being a kind of the positive thing, the center of attention or whatever, it also brings a lot of loneliness, right? When you're it, when I can only rely on myself, I'm screwed if I don't pull this off. You know, that's a big, dark cloud riding around behind me. And that was a huge win for me was realizing that there's something else because I could look at the universe. I could look at the stars. I could look at the mountains. I could I could look at anything almost and notice that I couldn't do that. I, I, I couldn't do that. Um, I couldn't have brought that desire to be sober on myself. That that had to happen to me through a series of events. Right. So that was that was just huge for me. And another thing, you know, the success rate, right? The ten percent, you know, that was something I was really battling through at the time. And 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 you and I hit some buttons there back and forth. And and my thing was always, you know, from the beginning is is hell. I did what the program was suggested, so it was a hundred percent successful for me. And I saw people come through you know, once, twice, three times that sit in the back of the room, not say anything, take a chip, maybe, maybe not, come in two or three, four times and we're gone. So those people, I believe, are counted in whatever these statistics are that call for a 10% success rate. Because everybody I built a relationship with it's, it's in, in, in sobriety and AA, as far as I know, you know, some have moved on, moved elsewhere. I guess I don't know about some, but most of all of them that I built any kind of relationship with are still sober. So to me, that's a hundred percent success rate after five years, you know, in my world, right? So because the first step of the program is we admitted we were powerless, right? You can't drink, you can't come to a meeting, drink, drunk, excuse me. So if I do that every day, I'm a hundred percent successful. You know, so so that's all, it's, it's about how much it's like anything, like how much you put into it. Um, it's a failure if you if you walk away. Right. So, um, you know, just a couple other things, um, if you don't want to interrupt me there, but that uh, that that struck me. Um, it's to me, I learned 
you've talked, you hit on it several times. It's it's not just about drinking, not drinking. Anybody can not drink. I did it four months. I white, white knuckled it. It's about being happy. It's about living a positive life. I mean, I was, I did it for four five, six months by myself and I was a, a miserable human being, right? But, but getting in and getting to the, the, the underlying causes, finding some humility, you know, searching for what pisses me off, what makes me mad, what makes me sad, what makes me scared, what makes me angry, what makes me resentment and resentful and looking at all those things and finding my role in each and every one of those things and coming to learn that I had a role in every one of those things that I was feeling terrible about, every single one of them. I couldn't, in the end, truly blame anybody. Even my parents divorced, right? The, when I was in third grade and, the, and what that caused, you know, uh, no, it wasn't my fault, but the way I reacted to it, even as a kid, I had a role in how all that went down. Um, you know, not the divorce, no, but how I reacted to it, right? So, so if I could, with humility, look at myself and try to find where I need to look in the mirror, that helped me getting back to the original point, being happy, not drinking. That helped get me there, you know. And, and, the, and the thing about um, AA, it doesn't have a marketing team. It doesn't have a PR team. It doesn't have a legal team. It doesn't defend itself. It is what it is. And, and I think that's where a lot of it comes from because people uh, look at it and say, you know, my friend, it, it didn't work for them. And, and so it's it's it, it's not very good or whatever. And yeah, I was defensive at the time. And I and I appreciate you um, calling me and inviting me on, you know, because the only thing, the only way I was able to get sober and stay sober was to be desperate. I had to be desperate enough to do anything and everything it would possibly take to get me sober. And for me, uh, that was spending 90 meetings in 90 days when I actually did probably 140 meetings in 90 days and, and a couple of years all the way through COVID, you know, being there every day. And and I've developed relationships and skills and and attitudes and, and ways of dealing with things that, I mean, I, I never made a better decision in my entire life, not just AA, but just to find a way, whatever that it was, because there's more than one way to do it. And last thing I'll say is, you know, save a seat, right? Um, that term, I mean, you know, to me, AA meetings and groups and individuals, you talk to very greatly from one to the next. And that's a rude thing for somebody to say, you know, and um, I was always taught and the experience and the examples I always had was, um, was uh, you just tell people, hey, we're here whenever you're ready. And, um, you know, come back if, if, if it works for you and, and keep coming back if, if you enjoy it. And that's, you know, that's kind of how I, I approach. But anyway, thank, thanks for having me on. I hope, hope I helped a little. Yeah, I think we we did a good job of putting you toward the uh, the you know letting a few people speak before you because you took some good notes and had some good stuff to react to. Uh, mm -hmm. That's great, Jay. I really appreciate that. I want to hit on the humility piece that you talked about because you know I'm the only one on this this podcast episode recording that knows everybody else in the Zoom boxes, and I happen to know that we've got a lot of people that have been successful in places outside of life besides sobriety and recovery and have, you know, fantastic careers and fantastic families. And that tendency 
to feel like you are the center of the universe and that all of your decisions and all of your actions matter so much and feel that weight on your shoulders Mm -hmm. is one of the underlying issues that causes a lot of us to need medicating to, and you know, all the people on this call had chose alcohol as a form of medication at one point or another. And so uh, I think that whether it is a spiritual practice, whether it's through the 12 steps, however you find it, that humility that you talk about Mm -hmm. is such an important piece. I, I have a friend here in, you know, I live in Denver. I have a friend here in Denver that talks about, you you know, whenever her husband gets ready to go on vacation, he happens to work for the city and County of Denver and he'll get so stressed, right. Trying to get all this stuff done before vacation. And at some point she looks at him and says, I don't know how the city is going to operate while you are on a beach for a week. Like, I don't know if it's going to keep it being able to keep operating. And so that, that story always puts that, you know, mindset of humility gives that mindset of humility for me and remembering, listen, I might think this stuff's really important, but at the end of the day, I'm just a, a nano micro piece of the whole spinning orb. And it's, it's not nearly as important as I think it is. And, um, you know, uh, recognizing where we stand with humility is a huge piece of, of finding long-term recovery. I'm curious uh, in your experience with AA, are are you still doing meetings and like, is it still an active part of your life? And, and what was most important to you? If you can parse it out, was it the steps or is it the group? You talked about how your network that you made, as far as you know, has a hundred percent success rate because you guys stayed bonded together is that really where it's at? Is that super important? Um, yeah. So I got sober in January of 2019. Um, you know, uh, to me, the most important thing I think is helping other people. What, what hits me the deepest is, and I think that's what it's all about, right? All these programs in one way or another get you to a point where either it's just based on sharing, right? Of being encouraged to share. Uh, being encouraged to share your thoughts and ideas with other people, uh, maybe uh, helping pour coffee or arrange Zoom meetings or, or 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 whatever, some form of helping others. And it's certainly kind of the pinnacle, right? What you're doing is is helping other people one on one and in a group setting to to share what worked for you. And to me, that's the most important part. It's just the meeting is where I can go to get the most likelihood I can touch people like that. Cause I have a, I have a group of five or six or seven college buddies that I text daily that all happen to be, imagine that, um, you know, one way or another uh, working on their sobriety. Right. So, so um, I've got, um, you know, lots of different resources where I can talk to people. And in that way, um, yes. And I, I went to a meeting this morning. I try to go every Friday now. Uh, for two or three years, it was every day, um, but but certainly with COVID and 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 I've gotten stronger in my sobriety. And some people say that's that's when you should be really worried. You know, um, I'm coming up on the five years, but but no, like I go back to the, my my meetings, like this morning, nobody says, "Hey Jay, where you been for two weeks?" You know, I don't get that. You know, I get an opportunity to meet other people, and and they they ask, anybody want to you know um, sponsor somebody?" I, I still raise my hand. I'd be happy to to help somebody through the steps or whatever. So I hope that answered your question. But um, you know, I think it's helping other yeah. people is the biggest thing. 
Well, and, and I think you make a really great point. Uh, Josh talked about the being of service and that being really foundational as well. I, it, it goes beyond alcohol too. I do encounter people and develop relationships with people that say, you know, I'm sick of talking about alcohol. I've been sober for years. I just can't go there anymore. And, you know, they often, I, I know people who have found they work in a soup kitchen or they, mm -hmm. they volunteer, um, you know, helping kids learn how to read or, you know, they, they coach soccer, they do something. Mm -hmm. And it's just remaining connected to your community and your community. We all know, right. We all know that your community ebbs and flows over the years. We're not, I mean, hopefully we're blessed to have some friendships from childhood, but uh, as you go through life and, and go through adulthood, your friendships are going to change and your community is going to change. And just, just continuing to be of service in one way or another is hugely beneficial. And speaking of being of service in one way or the other, Sarah, thank you for your patience. Um, I'm really glad that you're here. I, and I, I want to bring you into the conversation. You have a uh, pinch hit for me in the past in our shout sobriety program. And in fact, you're going to do it again here soon in a week or so facilitating a meeting and leading a discussion. And so I know that the service piece is really important to you. You have also, as some others have discussed on the call, you have been, um, you have had experiences with many different modalities and, and recovery platforms. And I'm hoping you can kind of just round out the conversation and share some of the things that you've experienced and what has worked for you, what's been important for you. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thanks, Matt. Um, as the, the only women in the finisher, I might say a couple things that um, hopefully aren't inflammatory um, in how they come across. Uh, when I came into recovery in 2016, uh, the first program I joined was with, can you hear me, Matt? Yes? Okay. Yeah, we sure <laughs> can. You sound great. Okay. Um, was Holly Whitaker's at that time was called Hit Sobriety. And I got to her by Googling, like, am I really an alcoholic? And um, what can a woman do if she doesn't want to go to AA or stuff like that? Led me to Holly. And uh, I took her program. And what it did for me was normalize my experience. It was primarily women, middle class, 40 to 50 professional women, many of them psychologists, teachers. Um, you know, I was a professional who facilitates groups and organizations. And and most of us were born helpers. And that was part of the problem, actually. Um, so we needed a space to feel safe in our experience. And, and it helped me tremendously and started to build the toolkit I needed um, to work with. Um, I'm a huge reader, um, it normalized that, that, you know, um, cause some of the messaging I got from therapists even was like, you know, a book isn't going to solve your problem, but books helped books nourished. I felt normal in a book because I'd been reading since I was like four years old. Um, and it was my way of making sense of the world. It was a source of joy and pleasure and inspiration. So I needed it to be okay to read. Um, which is, is another reason that you and I got along so well. Um, I certainly needed to write. When I started doing that, things really clicked for me. 
uh, in between, I know Holly's program evolved. She sold to a company and they changed the name to Tempest and she's since removed herself and it's been sold again to Monument. It looks nothing like Holly's program. And I'm kind of sad that option doesn't exist anymore, actually, because I still, she had like 60 days of mantras and I still say, just keep going to people all the time. And that was something that between she and Laura, um, that particular um, slogan or whatever came out and I can do hard things. And, like she had all these, these the 60 days of, of empowerment mantras. And she said, just say these every day and it will, it will help you. And I was like, okay, whatever, like I'll do the thing. And it did. And I know AA has its whole list of, of, you know, slogans and things that just come to mind when you need your own internal boost, you know, before you pick up the phone and call somebody else to ask them if they can help you get through that moment. Um, so I think you need spaces to find people who answer the phone when you need them or the chat message or whatever it is. Um, I've tried uh, Ola Sober is a, a group that started out for women. They're apparently creating a men's division. I don't really love the the narrative um, way that she's gone. It's a little preachy for me, um, but it's a space for women. It's free. Um, a lot of criticism Holly got was that she was a for-profit program. It was not inexpensive. Her argument was that it was a lot cheaper than wine. So, you know, invest in yourself. It, it, you know, it'll cost you less than the cost of your wine bottle a day. So, or two bottles a day in my case, by the worst of it. So, which was true. It was, it was far less costly um, than that. Um, and in terms of the long-term, you know, deteriorating impact of, of wine. Um, there's a program that Gabor Mate did with a Kundalini yoga teacher called Beyond Addiction, which if you're into more funky stuff and you want to like work with your nervous system and do some really weird yoga stuff, um, not weird, but like it, it's it, even for yoga, Kundalini is, is pretty extreme, right? So I'm not all in on Kundalini, but it's it's something I learned a lot from. Um, again, it is, it is, a, there is an investment, there's a cost, it was like, I think $600 or something for 16 weeks, but I, I got a ton out of participating in that program. I've done some recovery 2.0, because Tommy Rosen, uh, no, I think I've gotten his last name, what is Tommy's last name? Um, anyway, Tommy, uh, of recovery 2.0, um, it's also yoga based, and, um, I do a book group with them. I found a book group reading Gabor Mate's The The Myth of Normal. And um, we read through the book and, and it's a great book because it's got really short chapters and so and and they kind of stand alone. So even if I miss a week or two, it doesn't matter. I can pick right up. I like the book. It's you know, again, it meets that part of me that loves to read. Anything contemporary. Um Trauma informed understands mental health. Like I, I can, I can spend time there um, and and get something out of it. I prefer interactive spaces. It's just, I, you know, I, I do have a master's degree in this stuff. There's value in interpersonal connection and us making sense of our experiences together. Um, and so, for somebody who spends her life creating sense making activities. You know, I, I do, I can't do great big groups, you know, where it's just like, you know, I, I have gone to TLC. I've, I've been, I love, they did a month of movement program. That was a smaller group. That was fantastic. I loved it. Um, so I, I've dabbled and um, showed as my, you, you know, my home space where I've been, but I'm too in that place now where I'm like, I don't need to talk about alcohol anymore. I'm good. Uh, like I, but I do want to have a group that I talk about evolution with. 
you know, and how are we continuously becoming the best person we can be for all the other people in the world that we can be helping now that we're healthy enough to be the, the healthy helper instead of the, the helper was constantly drained and, and ultimately becoming toxic in their helping. So that was a lot, Matt. It's good. <laughs> it's well-rounded. Um, like as I, the same comment I shared with Trace, you are a questioner and you're a seeker and that is to your benefit. And um, I want to follow up on a couple of things you said. Um, since we pitched Laura's book, I, I am equally a fan of Holly's book, Quit Like a Woman. Um, it, it's a just a touch more, she's a little more edgy. It's a little more controversial. I think there's some politics in there. Um, but honestly, I related to Quit Like a Woman uh, very strongly. And, uh, it had me questioning myself or at least questioning the title of the book, I suppose. Um, but I, I loved it. Um, I also, Oh my God, you talked about how in the programs you've been in there, there are professionals, there are psychologists. I remember the first time I talked to a psychologist about shout sobriety. I thought I was going to wet myself the whole conversation. I was like, what could this person, what could I possibly offer this person with mental health professional experience? And what I've learned over the years is we're all human. We all can use a support group. We all need a little bit of help. It doesn't matter if we're trained in a particular area or not. But, oh, my God, I still and I'm very uh, good friends with this particular person that I'm thinking of. Um, but, yeah, it, you know, professionals, uh, the medical community, they deserve support as well. And I'm really glad you brought the cost into this conversation because I want to make a pitch for the fact that, it, you know, you get what you pay for to some degree. There are programs that are very effective that are free or that are past the plate, as Jason talked about earlier. Um, and so that is not meant as a criticism of that. But there are people that are dedicating their life uh, at an age before retirement to doing this kind of work. And they deserve the ability to um, just like, you know, we some of us uh, like to think that artists deserve to to make a living. Um, I think people in the recovery community do as well. And so, um, the idea that some of these programs, um, you know, cost what could be considered a, a pretty penny. I, I don't feel like I've ever seen, you know, once you get insurance involved and you talk about inpatient treatment, that's not what I'm talking about. I don't want to make any comment about that. Um, but when we talk about people that are, are, have found their niche and they're trying to support, uh, the rest of us out there that are trying to find sobriety. Um, you know, I, th I think, uh, they deserve the right to make a living. And we as consumers deserve the right to choose the program that feels best for us uh, as it relates to the cost. I know in, in Shout Sobriety and all the programs we run, it we are a monthly subscription donation model. And the reason I do that really is because of my own insecurity. I couldn't, I couldn't live with myself if I collected $600 from someone and it wasn't a good fit. Um, I, I wouldn't, I, that's just not me. So I'd rather do it as we go along. But uh, like I said, there's lots of different models out there and it's important for us all to maintain an open mind about that, I think. Uh, I wanna thank you all for being here. Um, the only person that I invited who was unable, I think he had dinner plans tonight, is Russell Brand. Um, if, if you're not familiar, Russell Brand has an incredibly 
entertaining take on the 12 steps. He's also brilliant. I've never heard Russell Brand say anything that I don't have to rewind and listen to again because I can't keep up with him. Um, but sadly, Russell wasn't available for this call tonight. So I appreciate you all uh, pitching in and being here. Um, thank you all very much. Um, I, it, it, back to the comment we made when Jason was talking about his initial experiences with smart when it was around a big table, I think it would have been more interactive had we all been sitting around a table, but I appreciate you all taking the time to share uh, your experience in kind of a one at a time format. Um, and I uh, would look forward to having, having you back to talk about this more in the future. Thanks for being a part of the, the intoxicated podcast. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.